So for four-year-olds, they learned to play the flutophone. And my husband and I would have 75 of those little rug rats in one room with these instruments for over an hour. I'm Steven Tyler, and this is No Indie. Each week on the show, I share a conversation with one of the good people doing their best right here in Indianapolis. This is episode two, and this episode is the conclusion to my conversation with Betty Perry. If you have not listened to part one of our conversation, stop right now and go back and listen to episode one. As you are listening today, tweet a photo of what you're doing while you listen. In the tweet, mention at Show with the hashtag doing my best. I will pick my favorite tweet and the winner gets a No Indie t-shirt. Thank you for listening. Here is part two of my conversation with Betty Perry. Um, all right, changing pace. I looked up many of your past music instructors. Mm-hmm. They were all very Caucasian and very male. Mm-hmm. And I guess my question is, who were your role models in this time? You said you had some mentors, but did you have any black musician, female role models? No. Wow. Except for my grandmother. She was, she was a musician? Or? No, she wasn't a musician. Okay. But other than that, uh, the answer to that is absolutely not. Wow. Right. You never let anybody's stereotype define who you were going to be. Is that true? That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Is that just how you were made to be? Or was that something that your grandmother taught you? Well, my grandmother, oh my gosh, I can't even begin to tell you what she, what she modeled for me. My grandmother was not a huggy, touchy person. Mm-hmm. She did everything for you uh, through her actions. But I learned so much by, she once said, if you ever want something, never go to the bottom to ask for it. Hmm. She said, because most of the time you'll be told no. Mm. She says, if there's something you want, go to the top. You have at least a 50% chance <laughs> of getting what you want. Yeah. So I have lived by that, you know, all my life. And I watched her, her divergent personality, mm. you know. Uh, she didn't have one way. If, if she had a, a goal. Mm-hmm. She didn't have just this tunnel way to get it. She had many different ways that she would be able to reach the goal. And I'll just give you an example of that. I always go back to the story about the turkey with Thanksgiving. Okay. Okay. Uh, We were very, very poor. And uh, my grandmother put herself on welfare so she could take care of the three of us. Mm. And so the welfare check, you know, wasn't scheduled to come for X amount of time. But my grandmother wanted a specific turkey. So we went to the store. She got the turkey she wanted. Then she went to the dairy department by the milk, moved all the milk out of the way, and tucked the turkey Uh. behind the milk. And so when the money came in, she could go and get the turkey she wanted. Smart. I'm yeah. thinking. I'm starting to think like her. There's not, you know, you have multiple ways to get whatever it is that you want. Uh. 
The other thing she did was make friends with the um, the bus operators mm-hmm. and the police. Mm-hmm. So she wanted to get someplace. She might have coffee or just enough for one one way. But she wasn't afraid to hail down a policeman and say, hey, can you get me back home? Hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. She had what we call chutzpah. Uh, you understand? So those those are the things that I remember. Don't be afraid to ask at the top. Don't have only one way to reach a goal. Mm-hmm. And don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, when you were a teenager, knee deep or neck deep in music, what did you envision for your career? I wanted to be a performer. <clears throat> okay. And, um, and I played, like I say, I played with some of the top people. I met my husband. He was at Juilliard. Mm. Um, and so we were doing a lot of performing. And what we realized is that there was a lot of racial discrimination with mm. the large symphony orchestras. And so several of us went about, and these are some of the top players um, in the country, and we formed our own orchestra called the Harlem Symphony. Hmm. And uh, and that's where I met my husband, because we had you had people that graduated from Juilliard, the Manhattan School of Music, Manhattan School of Music, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so my my vision was always to be this performer. You know, my husband and I, professional performers. And then we discovered that we were going to have a family. Mm-hmm. And we sat down and we spoke to us, you know, spoke to each other. And we decided what was more important, our career or our family. Mm. And we dropped out of music for over 11 years. Wow. Yes. The only instrument I kept was my guitar. And we sold our instruments to, I had two violas. I sold both of them for $25 to students who were, at the High School of Music and Art, but couldn't afford professional instruments. Mm. And my husband sold his horn, French horn, for $25 to a deserving student also. And so this way, we focused uh, we focused in on our family. Uh, I played some while I was pregnant, and that's why my daughter loves music. She used to jump all around in my belly, would freak out my stand partner, who was a male. <laughs> uh, but then when, we, when sh- she was born we realized that we needed to be home, Mm. you know, with her. And so for 11 years, uh, my thing was providing a nurturing environment for our two children, Mm -hmm. Um, taking the responsibility to educate them before they went to school. So by the time my kids went to school, they were already reading. And um, and with comprehension, not just reading words. And so after a, over 11 years, and we felt that our family was secure, by then my grandmother had died and I couldn't stay in New York. Mm-hmm. So my husband's family lived here in Indianapolis, and oh, really? that's how I got here. So then we decided we could now, with good conscience, mm-hmm. uh, get back into the music world. And then that's when I started uh, performing again and developing the program, music programs in the daycare. 
and then about 20 years of that, then to formally uh, develop the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra based on the 20 years that I had uh, been doing program programming prior to that. Wow. Were you guys, how were you paying the bills at this time? Ed did any kind of job. He worked for the post office. Okay. Um, I started learning how to make bread and I would, I had a little side business in my home. Okay. And I would bake all kinds of yeast breads and sell them on the weekend. And that's how we were able to do it. How did you, I was going to ask at the very beginning, what was like the first time you picked up a viola? I think I'm more interested to know what was it like to pick it up after 11 years? It was hard. Yeah. It was very difficult. I could not, I took out a simple etude for viola. I couldn't even get past the first line. <laughs> and I thought to myself, okay, this is not going to work. But after a few months, it started coming back to me and um, started playing in an orchestra at Butler University. And then I got, uh, was on the circuit of orchestras in India, in uh, Indiana. So I started playing with orchestras around around the state and also Illinois. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so you were doing the the daycare program with music. Was that you did that seventeen years? Is that what you said before? Yeah, it, I started at I started at about nineteen eighty eighty one eighty two something like that. Okay. Yeah. Um. And then what participate or precipitated the birth of MYO? Okay. Look, okay, let me give you the evolution of it. Please. So we have the daycare centers. And my job was to try and keep those kids together. Okay. So then I formed an orchestra, a youth orchestra for these little five-year-olds. Yeah. Okay. Um, I taught them how to play flutophone and violin. Hudaphone? Flutophone. Oh. Flutophone. Oh. What is that? It's like a recorder. Oh, okay. okay. I yeah. think it's less complicated than a recorder. So for four-year-olds, they learn to play the flutophone. And my husband and I would have 75 of those little rug rats in one room with these instruments for over an hour. And you could hear a pin drop in there. All right. We got to stop right there. Okay. Um... First of all, is it just you and your husband doing this program? Yes. Okay. Second of all, how do you command the attention of 75? Because the kids learn to love their instruments. I taught them that the instrument is like their children. You have to respect it. If you want to keep this baby, this is what you have to do. You have to constantly watch me. And they learned how to play three, three or four nursery tunes. And they learn how to play, believe it or not, um, oh, what's the name of that? It's it's not coming to me. Where you march when you graduate. Um, it'll come to me. All right. All right. So the five-year-olds learn how to play violin and cello. Mm-hmm. And I taught them also how to play this march. I can't, rem- I can't believe this is not coming to my head. But so they would have a graduation. The kids were dressed in caps and gowns. These are five-year-olds. Yeah. And we would play the march for them as they came in to take their seats. And I also taught them how to do different world dances because I didn't want them to just grow up with one type of 
hearing just one type of music. Mm -hmm. So the dances that I taught them were from different countries. One was from Russia called the Troika. Okay. And they understood what a Troika, this is what a Troika is, means three. Okay. Basically three okay. horses put together. Taught them how to do that dance. I taught them how to do a dance from Israel mm-hmm. called Mayam. Uh, and I taught them also how to do a course in American square dance. Mm-hmm. But I took from uh, the Nutcracker, the Waltz of the Flowers. Okay. And I taught them how to waltz and have a big, beautiful waltz. They had never had anything like that before. Yeah. And, um, but the power of music in different ways, one by learning to play it, two by movements, and three, the other way was having interactions with other people, Mm. with other little people. They learned how to be a team. Mm. They took pride in what they were able to do. But it also taught the parents and the people at the daycare never, ever underestimate the ability of little people. Mm. If you empower them to believe that they can, just show them how to do it. Be complimentary, honestly complimentary. And they can do whatever you want them to do. And that's what the school learned. I did that, I, I did that for maybe about four or five daycare centers. Wow. And so... So I kept those kids together. Then I formed the orchestra outside of the daycare. Okay. Then I formed a, um, a chamber group called Ebony and Essence at my house because I felt it was important for kids to get to know me as a person. Mm-hmm. You know, kids want to know, what does your house look like? You know, that kind of stuff. You know, what do you eat? Mm-hmm. Do you eat like real people? <laughs> you know, so you, you invite them to let them know, yeah, I eat like real people too. So then, then with that group, the Ebony and Essence group, I got together with several of my uh, friends, and we formed the Tri-County Orchestra. These are musicians. One lives um, and taught at DePauw. Uh, the other one was in Terre Haute, and then my studio uh, in Kokomo. Okay. So we had all of these groups that would get together on an annual basis, and... Um, get to know each other. Also, when I was teaching at Wabash College, so you had this group of kids that came from all walks of life. You mm. have uh, children of professors. You had children of farmers, okay? <laughs> you had poor kids. You had well-to-do kids. You had diversity in color. But they all came together as friends with one common aspect, and that was the importance of what could you bring to the dance as a team holding your end up, Mm. playing music. And it was fun. And then the eventuality of it was the the development of the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra, which came about because I had seen an article um, in the Star about a project that the Children's Museum was doing. Mm. And it was called the Focus Academy. And it was the Children's Museum's uh, desire to be able to bring the kids of color who lived in that neighborhood to try and bring them into the museum, but in a way that it wouldn't disrupt the enjoyment of most of the patrons. Okay, mm-hmm. so this Focus Academy was started, 
and it dealt with several disciplines. Music was one, culinary arts was the other, literature was another one, and visual arts and photography. And when I saw that they were going to create this music program, I, my girlfriend and I stayed up all night and we wrote a proposal oh, wow. and presented it to the museum. And they told, it was in the summer, and they said, well, come in and try your program here for the summer. And before the summer was over, they asked me to come join them. Mm. And that's how the Metropolitan Youth Orchestra got started. Wow. Yeah. Um, so if you hadn't read that article, it probably wouldn't exist? No, it would exist in a different format, okay. probably, knowing me. Yeah. Yeah. And how did you, like, initially start this whole thing? Like, we kind of magically got to this point in the story where you were, like, I was meeting with grade school or um, daycares and doing this music program. Did you just have the idea one night and you said, I'm going to do this and you went and to do it? That's it. That's amazing. Yeah. I say it's amazing. I know you look at me like, why is that amazing? Most people have lots of ideas and don't ever execute on them. Oh, but see, I had my grandmother. Uh, <laughs> what would you tell somebody who um, has an idea or has many ideas and can't muster the discipline? to move forward with it? It has to do with your heart condition, number mm. one. Mm-hmm. Um, and the idea that nothing will ever get accomplished if you don't try. Mm. You have to always be willing to try and make mistakes. I mean, I've made a lot of mistakes. I still make mistakes. Like my friends back there, they're all into technology and sitting and doing this. And I'm the one that has to get up and walk around and bother everybody. <laughs> okay. But I also know that <clears throat> I have a certain genius and we all recognize that each of us has a certain genius and we try to, to blend that and to understand it. Um, okay. Just a couple more questions. Uh-huh. Um, what are you listening to right now? Music wise? Me? Yeah. Now you're going to think this is funny. What do you think I be, I'm listening to? I don't have a good guess. I'll tell you what's the funny part for me is trying to research you. If I type in Betty Perry music, mm-hmm. I was wanting to find something of you playing. And the only thing I could find is Katy Perry music videos. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so that didn't work. Uh, but I, I have no idea. What are you listening to? Well, I have, since I have become semi-retired, Yeah, I have discovered people like Kesha. Yeah. Uh, what's her name? Haley Steinfeld. Is you, that her name? You're talking Greek to me at this point. Okay. I have no idea. It's the station, the station that I never would have listened to. And I happened to be in the car one day and um, I turned in the station and I heard this piece by this woman, Kesha. Mm-hmm. And she was like pouring her heart out in this, um, in this song. And I just fell in love with it. And I said to myself, I wonder what else I've been missing yeah. out in all these years. Cause my whole life has been, revolving around, you know, the classical industry. I think this is my last question. Okay. If I gave you a billboard here in the city and you could put anything on it, what would it say? I would say live your life to the fullest. You only have one time at it, one opportunity. Don't waste it. Yeah. Okay. Where can people find you if they want to contact you? Um, they can contact me at bperry at indianapolissymphony.org. Okay. Very good. Are you on social media at all? Yes. They can also friend me on, on, uh, Facebook. Okay. Betty Perry on Facebook. Thank you. Don't start. (laughs) 
That was Betty Perry. If you enjoyed that conversation, do me a favor. Tell someone about Betty. The world needs more people like her. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support the show, please rate and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It will help others find the show and I will read everything you write. Find me on the socials at No Indie Show and learn more at noindie.com. Thank you for listening. <laughs>